Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and enlightening conversations around movement practice and how you can become the most heroic version of yourself through pursuing movement that's relevant to your nature. This is a podcast that's going to feature some of the top movers in the world, some of the most amazing movement thinkers, and people from fields that are related to movement as far afield as evolutionary theory, strength and conditioning, and everything in between. So if you're interested in movement, please stick around. And if you like our work and want to support it, please consider supporting us on Patreon because this podcast is completely listener supported. We don't want to take any advertising. We don't want to interrupt your experience of watching the show. So what really helps us get the best thinkers on, have the time to put these together, have the best quality for you guys as far as audio and video is your support. So please consider supporting us and enjoy the rest of the show. Today, our guest is Callum Powell. Callum is one of the members of Store. Store is right now the world's most popular uh, YouTube channel for parkour. They're a clothing brand, and they're well-known in particular for their work at heights and their long, complex runs using parkour techniques. So Callum's a guy I wanted to chat with to get a view into how people at the highest levels of the sport currently training and kind of the mental game that goes into some of the aspects of training at height. So I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation and I think you guys will get a lot out of it. So without further ado, Callum Powell. Callum, welcome on the podcast. It's a pleasure to speak with you. What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Thank you very Absolutely. much. So let's just start with like, how did you, how did you get started with, with store? This has become the, you know, you guys are the, I believe you're the biggest, YouTube channel for parkour content on the planet. How'd that all get started? Yeah. Um, so I guess how it got started was, well, um, Max and Ben started the channel, uh, Storyblog, on the 10th of October, uh, 2010. So 10-10-10. Uh, and they kind of started it as a side YouTube account from Horsham Movement. Horsham, Horsham is uh, where Max Benj and Drew are from uh, in England. And uh, it's, it's where they wanted to pretty much upload all the like fun stuff besides training pretty much. Like all, all their main videos went on Horsham Movement and all the bullshit went on Storyblog. And it kept going like that for, for quite a while. And as we were all kind of training together, we were all kind of around and we were all in the videos that were just being uploaded to Storyblog. And as time went on, less and less videos were uploaded to Horsham Movement and our own channels. And we were more just all of us uploading stuff to Storyblog instead. And then as time went on, uh, we were uploading more like glossier content just on Storyblog. And uh, down the line, um, people started just calling us the Storas or the Stora Boys. Mm -hmm. And before we knew it, like we were just like a team, like the public just decided that we were like a parkour team pretty much. Uh, and yeah, there was the eight of us uh, for quite a while, Steve, in 2014 or something um who's like the older member of the group he decided to step down he he had a kid which is the reason he stepped down and 
decided uh, he was going to try and pursue a career in stunt work. So he was tr doing a lot of work to try and get on the stunt register. And uh, yeah, I guess we've just been putting a lot of effort into YouTube and just make, we started making clothing and yeah, I guess the rest is history. Now we've got, uh, we've just hit 3 million subscribers on YouTube. Uh, we did, a, we got a fair few viral uh, videos and things have just been like snowballing exponentially. And uh, yeah, I guess that's about it. Where we're at right now, I guess. So you, you say you're 27 years old, you were, so you're 19 when you guys started yeah. this. Have you been training for a while before that? Uh, yeah, I started in 2006. So I was 15 when I started. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I, I met the other Stara guys in like 2008, around then. But we only really like started training together more as a group, like as our actual, like we, we, we all lived like uh, a fair distance apart from each other maybe like an hour probably doesn't sound much for mm -hmm. for you guys in the u.s where everything's so spaced out but um yeah we'd always meet up on the weekends uh and we were like the our main training group kind of thing so did you guys come together primarily because to find people of kind of similar skill level or was there a personality match or why do you guys think that you all ended up training together I think it was literally the personality match. Yeah, that's the thing for sure. Um, yeah, definitely wasn't so much the skill level. Like we all just had a similar drive for um, like certain adventures and stuff like that. And I think like our sense of humor as well was like a big part of like our friendship, like yeah. and, and why like things kind of worked better than other stuff. I don't know. We we were all just like kind of on the same wave of adventure and humor and and where what we wanted to do with parkour kind of thing, and it just kind of worked. Yeah, I remember when you guys first came out. There was a lot of uh, well, there's a lot of controversy around you guys. Um, yeah, yeah, still it hasn't really there. stopped. <laughs> <laughs> we can get into that a little bit uh, later, but um, but the humor aspect was a big aspect. I think of what what made your brand somewhat distinctive. Yeah, I, th I think like because around around the time, there it was just a lot of people uploading like action reels and and there'd be like just training videos and stuff and but we just uploaded like random bullshit like some of the first videos were like twenty second videos of just like complete nonsense and like there'd be sometimes very little parkour and there'd be like lots of our. Uh, like interactions with like members of the public and police and stuff and um just lo lots of like funny content and i remember like people like phil doyle around that time saying like story blog is pretty much like the only um parkour content that i watch these days and it's like okay um, <laughs> yeah yeah and, and it's like well i don't know if you can call it parkour content below it's just like yeah i don't know just like funny funny content that we yeah. thought was funny like it didn't matter about anyone else too much at that point and you're you kind of carved a bit of a distinct sort of uh style within within store and within the community as kind of particularly known for big jumps and precisions 
fucking doing yeah. stuff where you'd easily die if you uh, <laughs> didn't land precisely. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how do you find, uh, how do you think you kind of ended up focusing on that? I'm not sure to be honest. Um, I I don't remember any like distinct point where I decided um, like oh this is my thing I want to specialize in this. It just like naturally kind of happened and and especially not like the the higher the high consequence stuff like nothing like there was never any point where i decided this is what i want to do i just like i don't know i just always thought uh like precisions jumps power moves with like good control and everything was was cool so i just gravitated towards it i guess i don't know interesting yeah and well, one of the things that's interesting to me about Storer is just that, like, most of the most popular parkour content is is very acrobatics biased. But you guys sure, are the biggest, yeah. most popular channel, and one of the least acrobatic biased teams. Right? Yeah, yeah, I feel like that as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. and especially as time goes on, like, I think most of us um, have like come away from like acrobatic stuff as time goes on and i don't know why like like we, we were talking about it recently like josh used to do so much so many more flips like back in 2010 to 2012 or something and ben's recently said as well like yeah i'm not not so much into flips anymore like but i think he had like quite a bad bail recently where like he hurt his back for like the whole of the summer so that might be a part of it but yeah yeah i don't know it's weird to weird to think why because i always kind of thought like the general public want to see people doing backflips <laughs> <laughs> not even like hard acrobatic yeah. stuff just backflips. Yeah, yeah. but yeah yeah they can't tell the difference between a backflip and a corkscrew so yeah 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 i've 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 no idea why that's why that's the thing so that wasn't something you know, i guess intentionally sort of set out to do was to be focused on that or just organically grew that that was what you continued to be interested in yeah it was def definitely organic i don't remember i don't there was never any decision or anything it's just we we always did what we thought was cool yeah yeah and yeah i think it's cool too i love i love, to, I love the <laughs> fact that there's somewhere out there that you can watch like really nicely produced content that's much more about the interaction with the environment mm yeah yeah that's a big thing as well like uh that's one thing i can definitely say um i'm not that into especially when i'm watching uh parkour content would be people just doing stuff on sprung floor or like platform tricks and stuff i love seeing people that are acrobatic but uh, but that are interacting with their environment in like cool and creative ways yeah like that that come to like a really complex environment and they can i don't know just put their kind of mark on it kind of thing and interpret yeah. it in a way rather than just like the hardest platform trick off a, a, a ledge or something it does seem uh, for a while yeah. motion runs yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i got really sick of the kind of free running because it seemed like um, run here flip here run here flip here yeah yeah it was like a lot of flat ground tricking basically or flipping off mm. of something just because it was it just provided a platform it didn't provide any 
something that was more interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But like it didn't like, matter. It didn't matter if you traveled to like Madrid or something, go to like amazing spots. <laughs> you would just like find a ledge to do a trick off, and it's just like, yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I remember watching like uh, some pretty prestigious free running videos and being like, they're in some of the coolest environments in the world, and it looks exactly the same as if they were doing the same stuff at their home spots because yeah, yeah. because you know, doing a uh, a double B twist off of one platform is the same as doing yeah. a double B twist off the next platform. Yeah, yeah. Although I sometimes feel myself falling into. Um, that category as well but in a different way like uh, like you could say doing like a big running precision is the same kind of thing that's yeah. like you, you go to a spot and then there's just like an obvious big running jump and I'll spend a lot of time doing that and and often like feel to myself like this isn't like I'm, I'm not doing justice to this spot kind of thing i've just like found an obvious thing and i'm kind of, so it, yeah it can be like it doesn't just have to be acrobatic stuff i guess yeah yeah, yeah that's true I mean? no that's a good point i do think that for me there's a little there's a little bit of a difference there because you know it, it's the the big running precision it's like well how high how far how creepy yeah, true. there's there's these little yeah, little yeah, variations yeah. i feel like different factors you know, and obviously that, that can be true with flips too. It's like, well, if the platform's a little bit higher, the timing is different. You know, what's yeah. the ground like, et cetera. Um, but I, yeah, I, yeah. what I was going to say is I do think that, that you've seen the, uh, the free running game change where it's becoming much more um, environmentally interesting. Like, uh, I think you know yeah. one of my friends, uh, former students, Nate Weston. Uh, like, I think yeah. he does. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Seattle based. Yeah. 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 And also, uh, like uh, I really like Bar Vandalin and the way that he that he combines the two things and connects. Yeah, 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 for sure. I've actually been kind of diving into acrobatics myself as part of my uh, my kind of investigation into how we conceptualize and think about flow. But one of the things I'm interested in is how you challenge the the orientation system and then mm. learn to control coming out of it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. So it's like, okay, well, you can do a flip on flat, but then can you do the flip in connection between parkour elements? And it can make yeah. the, the connection between those elements that much more interesting. So can you do your, your, uh, your long running precision, um, but can you do a flip before you do it or a flip on the way out and then connect yeah, to something yeah. else? And that's yeah, where it gets something I'm, something I'm trying to experiment with more and more. Yeah. Now, but. So, um, so we'll, let's talk about your big jumps, right? You're, uh, one of the things that's very interesting to me is this, the, the idea of breaking the jump and the process that an athlete goes through in breaking the jump. So take us through what is your process when you're looking at a, a new kind of a big scary jump and you're, you're preparing for it, what do you go through? Yeah, I don't know. I pretty much, uh, first of all, like check the surfaces and everything. Well, well, not check the surfaces. Obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll try and find out if it's actually a jump that I can do, like physically, and then mm. I'll make sure the surfaces are uh, safe and not like slippery and everything, all of the obvious things. And then, uh, if if there's still like doubt or anything, I'll try and replicate it in any way possible, whether that be. Uh, on the ground I'm, I'm not really against like measuring stuff like if if i need to uh, yeah. be sure about something and if 
I don't, I, don't I, th I think most of the time you can learn more about yourself by measuring stuff than like, it doesn't actually take anything away. I think there's an interesting thing. I was going to ask you about that, but there's an idea to me of, so implicit versus explicit. So implicit is like, I know I can do that jump. Explicit would yeah. be like, I can jump 10 feet. That's 10 feet. Therefore I can do it. Mm. Right. So it's like, it's yeah, a, yeah. It's a ultimately, logical like, program. Yeah. Ultimately you want to be able to see it just from your vision, but your vision can sometimes be skewed, uh, whether by, um, the height or like some other thing. So like knowing for sure, like can help the process uh, and can help you doing the jump. Like if you don't do the jump just because you're, you're like, oh, I didn't want to measure it. Then I, I, think that's, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's like cutting, yeah, cutting it short. I, I wonder sometimes if people like avoid measuring it because you can give yourself a false confidence when you measure something. Yeah. Cause it can be like, I know that I can jump this far, therefore I can do the jump when there's something more complex about it that actually fits Yeah, for sure. Which like either the run up or like the, a thin takeoff or something, for mm. example. But yeah, I, I guess you just have to be like logical and rational about it, like every every aspect of it. Like Yeah, yeah. Of course it doesn't it doesn't work on like high to low or low to high kind of things and there are so many different things, but so do you, do you have that mapped out? Like, okay, so you can do a certain standing precision jump on the ground. And if it's a, a two foot drop or a three foot drop or a four foot drop, do you have an intuitive sense of how much further you can get? Or do you have a, have you, have you actually mapped that out? Uh, I don't think I map it out, but I think now and again, I'll come to a jump and uh, if, like I'll be, I'll think like, oh, I think I'm pretty sure I know how far this is like by feet. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure like, uh, I can do this with like how many steps run up or something or, or whether it's like, uh, I can do it standing or whether I can do it with a step in or like a few steps running or like full pelt running kind of thing. Mm. Um, but some, but yeah, sometimes, yeah. So I, I have an idea of like, what jumps i can do with what but sometimes it's nice to like measure it out just to confirm like how accurate my vision is and i mm. think my my vision is getting like more and more accurate as time mm. goes on so like yeah. i think that's also like testament to like how measuring stuff can be like help helpful to solidifying your vision and like trusting your vision if you know what i mean it's, it's, yeah absolutely. i don't know i think i i think i no i think it's stuff explaining no, no i think that's a good, a good explanation I, uh, I just read this book called super forecasting by philip tedlock it's a great book but um for some reason that one pops into my mind but one of the ideas here is that when you ex when you explicitly measure your ability to 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 accurately predict something then you give yourself feedback on how well you're doing it so okay. you look at a jump and you think to yourself, okay, that jump is, is 12 feet. And then you measure it out and it is 12 feet. It's like, well, that's information, right? If you, if you, if it looks like 12 feet and it was 13 feet, then, then you know that you made an error. Yeah. Right. So you want to be calibrating your, uh, your ability to, so basically you have an intrinsic sense of how far you can jump and an intrinsic ability to measure something. Yeah. And then by, by, ex by bringing that up and 
and and saying, if you can say to yourself, I think this, and then you measure it and you're either right or wrong, that's information that helps you. You can ask, why didn't I get yeah. that right? And then you can get yeah, better sure. at that process. And you, you slowly yeah. hone in that vision. I think that you're right that having a measuring tool um, can really help you kind of tune in your, yeah. help you calibrate your, your intrinsic yeah, yeah. knowledge. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like a, a, the, a thir the third way to like calibrate it would be by actually doing the jump and then like finding out, oh, I was a bit, I was a bit wrong. Like I bounced off that and I thought yeah. it was like within my range, range, but sometimes you can't afford to do that bounce off or, <laughs> or yeah. you can't afford to get it wrong. So it's, it's best to, especially with uh, like, say for example, the jump I did in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I didn't want to, do that jump without measuring it because that would mean uh, I would die if, I, <laughs> if I'd got it wrong. Yeah. Um, so I, I made sure my vision wasn't skewed by, uh, by anything like yeah, yeah. most, most likely like I would think it's bigger because of the height, but, um, but yeah, if it was no. the other way, then it would have been. Different. In order to give yourself the confidence, you needed to have as much information confirming. Exactly. As possible. Yeah, exactly. This brings up another thing that I, that I that I talk about, which is this idea of um, I use the terms risk versus danger, and I'm curious mm -hmm. if you guys use something similar or have have developed the same concept. But basically, I think of risk as the likelihood that something will fail, mm. and the consequence being like the objective the danger. Yeah. outcome. <laughs> exactly, and uh, and so if you were to succumb to that risk. Yeah, you're talking about doing the other side of the risk. Exactly. Yeah. So, so risk is how likely is it to fail? Danger is what happens if you fail. So, like you know, your yeah. danger level on that Hong Kong jump was 100. It was like you know, if you yeah, yeah, if yeah, you yeah. fail, you die. Mm. Um, you know, I suppose there were like you could bounce off forwards into the building and could have been ugly. And you could yeah, smell. yeah, like there could have been like a lot of saves that would have yeah. like, but still, yeah. So, so there's a couple questions there. So one first is, um, how do you guys think about that, that, that risk management aspect and, and like how much, um, how close to the edge of what you're capable of, do you feel like you can, you can control at the, at a point where you're in very high danger? Um, like the jump in Hong Kong, if that had been yeah. at the ground level, yeah, would that have been? A very easy jump to, to work yourself up to or for sure yeah challenging. like nothing I, I think we say it in roof culture asia as well um in the full documentary that nothing that we actually did was physically or technically hard um it was just mentally um very scary so it was just like tuning into like the physical and technical uh side of things um so yeah i would say that jump yeah I, it was 16 foot and uh i would have like maybe a thousand out of a thousand times would have would have uh nailed it on the ground with without a problem that's fine yeah um, that's my rule personally for myself when i jump yeah. at height is, yeah yeah you know people will say oh i think i can do it and i was mm -hmm. like can you fail yeah because yeah. when you're when you're when you're at height, it's like it only takes one failure. So if you're if you're playing around at a failure rate of like anything over zero, basically, eventually it's, yeah. it's up to you. Yeah, playing 
playing with time and yeah especially like the volume of how many times you're you're doing stuff like that which is what scares me about um so many people doing descents these days for example mm -hmm. because um it's not only like one movement uh you're going down an entire parking garage which is like and then when people are trying to do it fast for their for the videos and everything so it's like a risky move multiplied by however many stories uh of course the consequence is getting a little bit lower each time each story you descend down mm -hmm. but i think why it's dangerous is like you can say uh oh yeah but i don't do it until like i've fully tested everything and like got all the data i need to like uh to know that I can do it without failure. But I think the thing is everyone's um, perception of that is slightly different. So for example, like uh, on the scale, on the scale of things, someone could be a lot more careless than someone else. Yep. So like their, their idea of no stones unturned is very different from someone who is like super careful and like, wouldn't even do the descent kind of thing mm -hmm. and and that's why like people like uh i don't know i, I don't want to say like joe scandrit but like i know joe is like so like gung-ho and like i don't know he's he's somewhat like a bit careless sometimes and he does bail quite often like um and he does a lot of fucking scary descents like he does like nine stories and on one of them i've seen like when he's like been three stories up or something he's like caught caught from a drop cat and then slid all the way down to like his chest yeah and so i think he's a bit more and and there are a lot of people that are like that for sure and when you enter like when you put a trend like that like descent onto into the parkour community then like more people are going to want to do it to like prove themselves or whatever and i don't know something like the sense i feel like some bad shit's going to happen <laughs> in the hands of like someone who isn't as careful as they should be if you know what i mean because yeah everyone's perception of like yeah i'm ready is different yeah and whenever we're doing something new also uh it, we're not familiar yet with what the dangers are yeah Right, so as something like descents come into the culture, it's like, well, nobody was really doing them. Mm. You know, it's like, I, there's that, the famous David Bell descent in, uh, in, in Lease, right? Yeah. Like they have a, that series of drops between the walls, but, but it feels like to me, people really doing this as a kind of high prestige, really kind of exploration area in parkour started just what, like four years ago, three years ago? Yeah, yeah. It was like, I think it was Pretty Dylan much. Baker and, Dylan. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and in Colorado. And it's like, yeah, it's pretty much Colorado and now the UK, it seems like where, where it's big. Yeah. And now, yeah, it's, everyone's, everyone's doing them. But I'm, I, I mean, you know, I've been exploring things along those lines in trees. Like, how do I get down quickly through trees? Um, there's a there's one that I was just looking at in uh, in Copenhagen where I could stand in one tree, which is like thirty 
30 plus feet off the ground, 10 plus meters off the ground, um, jump across to another tree. But the first branch is like this. Yeah. Okay. And then you have to turn and like slide backwards and catch on these branches and then turn around. And then that point you're pretty safe. You're not too high off the ground, but, uh, but then there's a sweet like swing down to another tree branch and then a huge precision off of it. Um, that sounds so cool. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I want to go back and do it really bad. Uh, but I love that stuff. It's really interesting in the trees. It's, it's really interesting. Um, but there it's, you don't find stuff that's as exposed a lot in a tree as, you know, a parking garage where like, you know, <laughs> if you fall backwards, you're just gone. There's nothing to catch. Yeah. 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 At least like there's, there's a lot more variables of, and, and there's a lot of, it's not so copy and paste in trees and stuff, but at least like you've got like a few branches to like catch you if you do mess up. Yeah. It's not so exposed. So, but the, the, the hesitation that you express around, uh, around kind of the, the rise of the descent culture is something, you know, other people have talked about what you guys are doing in the same kind of way, right? Yeah. You, you know, uh, you're famous for the whole idea of rope, rope culture. Yeah. Like the early, very early parkour community did these roof gaps and then yeah, it's nothing new. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Just the thing that people keep forgetting. Like, it's not. It's not new, but it it is. You're you're the first guys to sort of like, kind of make a distinct subculture around that. Sure, sure. You know, uh, David Bell didn't have T-shirts about manpower. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? For sure, for sure. Um, so I, so I, uh, I, um, I like. It's interesting for me because when I started parkour in the, in the states here a lot of people were you know first it was like okay well actually you can do a lot of this in the ground first it was all you know like you got to get up on rooftops and do flips off things and then people realized that you know most of the practice was something you can do on the ground and then as we became organized as a community it was really kind of looked down on to do uh to do uh stuff on roofs yeah and to do drops right everyone was getting knee pain yeah it's so it. funny because like the the majority of content that you'd see like back in the day was was just that like roof yeah. stuff and <laughs> drops that's <laughs> yep. like oh and then everyone but yeah yeah I, I remember yeah and so we cultivated this, this whole other uh, culture around it and like i came in and i i was very cautious and i came from a gymnastics background the strength conditioning background and i actually never explored roofs while i was doing urban parkour it wasn't until i started training primarily in nature but I really started playing with doing stuff at height where there were serious consequences. Mm. Um, so, so anyway, I remember kind of the reaction to you guys kind of putting up this roof culture idea. And I know in, in roof culture Asia, you, you talked about the idea that, you know, people need to realize that this is a, this is a process that's taken seriously by the people who do it. And it's not something to be, to be easily replicated. And, uh, and and I think there's an interesting thing to, to to think about when you are, let's say, doing stuff on the edge of what humans have mapped out. Yeah, you guys are are taking the roof training to an edge that maybe hasn't really been as explored by anybody else. Mm. And that when you're on the edges, there's always the potential to be flirting with the danger, right? Because you don't have a lot of information about the way that that's done. And 
in the same way that like when the, the parkour idea was spread to the rest of the world, it's like we missed a ton of what was, what was going on in the French scene. It's like what you guys are doing um, and what's allowing you to be safe when you're up there isn't necessarily obvious to the people who are following you. So how do you, how do you think about the responsibility as a member of the community to, for the fact that a lot of people are going to want to go up on roofs because they've watched what you've done? Yeah, I guess like, I think, I mean, it's kind of hard because I would say like, I'd like to say that's most of that idea is covered in Roof Culture Asia, but then like how many people that watch our videos have, have are going to see and have seen Roof Culture Asia. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that needs to be said uh, more often for sure in our videos. And I guess it helps more often now that a lot of our content is a lot more vlog based. So people can see the uh, process that goes into how we prepare for jumps and everything like that. That's something we uh, have a lot in our videos. Um, so yeah, people can see that now. So that I guess there's, that element of we're not just hacking shit like uh but yeah i think yeah there needs to be more uh to make it clear that we're not just going out and i get a lot of my students as well there have been it is it's the fact that it is like sensationalized and everything and a lot of my students are asking me like oh, for roof spots in brighton and everything and uh even my adult students as well like um and i'm like "Ah, guys you're fairly new to the sport you have no place kind of adding high consequence to it like just for social media or even for yourself or like you you need to put the work in beforehand to eliminate any risk like you can't say that there's no risk or you can't say oh i'll be careful be i'll be careful because it's like it doesn't matter how careful you are your technique and skill you you haven't experienced enough mistakes at ground level to know what can happen uh with a high consequence scenario if you know what i mean i think it's i don't know that there needs to be more spoken about it but then again like that that has always been a thing within parkour culture like us like we were saying um it's always been there like from the videos from the founders and I don't know, not that many people have died thus far Uh, (laughs) where like where that has always been like an existing spectacle in the sport. Um, So I don't know. Oh yes. Except for Pavel Kashi, rest in peace. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, I don't think anybody has died directly from doing parkour in the States. I don't know what the mm. situation is in England. My friend, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. He's from the Russian community. Says it's, it's 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 happening there on a yearly basis. Jesus, I heard another story about like some some girl that died as well in Russia, but I I never heard I I never heard it confirmed or didn't really hear any proper details as well. But really, a yearly basis. What kind of stuff have you heard? Um, it's just, this is something I heard from a guy who's from Russia, but you know, the, you see the videos that come out of Russia and you know, all the guys doing crane hangs and everything that's going on. The culture is very different there. Yes, yes, for sure. Like, have I you uh, had a chance to go train over there? Um, literally for a, like a day. Um, okay. we got, uh, we bought some 
crap flights to Thailand when we went in 2015 and they went via Moscow. Okay. Uh, we even had to get like these fucking shit transit visas as well that cost us so much and cost so much time as well to get um, just so we can get like these cheaper flights. But it, I think the money we had to pay like worked out more expensive. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, we pretty much spent like a day in Russia to like pretty much yeah. a day day layover we had to like change airports and everything but um yeah we didn't really meet many people but i guess yeah. it's enough to see from videos how the mindset is just completely different yeah well this friend of mine I still don't know why. Was, went to train with mustang the guy's name is mustang okay big, mustang wanted yeah he's one of the big like crane hangers right um, yeah, yeah yeah from i think ukraine yeah maybe you're saying that like sure after they were training like parkour and like climbing and stuff, you know, Mustang just wanted to go get in some street fights. You know, it's <laughs> like part of the culture. It was like normal. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we just need to go find a street fight. So I think yeah. Eric Mukameshin was saying more or less the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You should ask Eric about that. I, I, maybe I'm misrepresenting the situation. There's just something my friend Alex told me as a, as a Russian kid who tried trains parkour and came over here. Um, so, I want to go back <laughs> away from the Russian thing. Uh, so here, I have this other question that came up to me recently, which is like, so I'm 36 now, and I didn't really start exploring doing stuff at heights until I was 31, 32. And okay. I've slowly gotten more and more confident with it. And I've been you know, taking bigger jumps. I did a jump recently uh, in Spain, which is like, I don't know, 60 feet off the ground between two cliffs. Um, okay. It's not a huge jump from a like it was probably a ten foot gap or so, but with a nice like six foot drop, so it's pretty easy standing jump. But it was a scary, weird edged cliff face there, like a you know. Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking that like okay, because I when I was doing uh, urban parkour, I was always the leader of the local parkour community, and I was always kind of like a coach, and didn't want to be arrested and have that like be affecting the perception of what uh of of the parkour community for my students so mm. when i started training in nature it's like well nobody's going to arrest me for jumping between two cliffs so i can just i can start exploring this so i wanted to explore it and i was like you know i think that there's something for me to learn here and i'll probably need to do this for a few years and then i think that i'll be done with it and then i'll put it away um and and so i got i've you know i've gone and explored it more and more and and I found it really informational. Like it's, uh, <laughs> it's, there's something about the process of breaking the jump that I think is profoundly building of your character. And it's a really interesting place to, to examine your fear. Um, and it taps into some, you know, um, it, it, it allows you to enter the flow state in a really powerful way when you can connect. Yeah. It. And that's, uh, that's a little bit of addict, uh, a little bit addictive. So, uh, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm three or four years into the process of exploring this. I definitely don't feel ready to, to stop anytime soon. Sure. And, you know, and the stuff that we see in general, you know, outside of my personal process of parkour is that it's getting crazier and crazier. You know, uh, uh, a guy I follow, Leo Urban, just did a front flip over the manpower gap. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know he'd done awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's a lot so, of you can see stuff like that happening and um, uh, you know, I see people throwing double fronts outside now that's happening regularly. Um, 
And, and, and so far, it seems like the parkour community has stayed really safe. Like people often ask me, oh, that's so dangerous, such a crazy sport. But in my experience, most elite parkour athletes that I've worked with actually have fairly minimal injury histories mm. and have had few major like life scares. Whereas when I talk to like elite skiers and snowboarders, like they're just a laundry list of horrible injuries that have happened. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you mean. Yeah. Mm. But I wonder if, you know, the sport is evolving to the point where it's going to start being dangerous to stay at the edge of what people are doing. Yeah. I was reading this book, uh, The Rise of Superman. They're talking about like Dean Potter was one of the yeah, characters. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've read the same book. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the coda to that book is Dean, Dean died, right? He, uh, he died mm. doing wingsuiting. So yeah. I'm curious, what do you have that sense that like that your friends, the people who are you know pushing the edge of this sport, are starting to flirt with danger? Do you feel, still feel like it's really, it's just people are that fucking amazing, and that now front flipping the main power gap is just a thing. It's not, it's not a crazier thing than jumping it was five years ago. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that example. Uh, specifically, I think isn't. I I mean that's down to like a gap like that is down to like takeoff kind of thing yeah. rather than uh, I I don't know like in t in terms of like the high consequence of it like, uh, but yeah I I think I feel like for the most part as things are progressing right now is um is pretty all right. Uh, maybe apart from like I, I express worries about like descents and stuff, but mm. maybe because that's such a new thing, it hasn't been uh, explored as deep as like some of the other stuff for yeah. most people. If you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. But I can't. I can't say that I've seen too many people like pushing it at their very limits uh, and the outcome being hurting themselves like that much. I, I don't think I've seen like more and more of that happening. Do you, do you feel, do you feel I, that? I don't, I, I, do, I don't spend that much time with the parkour community, right? Like I, I'm a married guy with three kids who trains, you know, with my students and on my own a lot. I love sure. it when I get a chance to train with the parkour community because it's kind of, you know, there's, there's nobody in the natural community kind of people who are following in the footsteps of what I'm doing and other people have blazed who have yet managed to reach the skill level that I have or not very many. Sure. So if I want somebody who can jump and do the same kind of stuff in the trees as I do, it's usually somebody in the parkour community. So it's hard for me to tell. I'm just curious because, because I read that book and I do know that, you know, some of the other communities that has gone in the crazy direction and parkour has always seemed a little bit different to me because you basically only move at the speed that the body can allow. So as long as you... Yeah. As long as you don't take a take a drop from height, you're 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 relatively controlled. But I guess the thing that that I'm a little bit scared of is all the double flipping. And as people try to connect that and do it in more complex environments, just because I yeah. came from gymnastics and knew I knew that like a lot of people have got got hurt in gymnastics with double flips, especially yeah. double front flips. So I can imagine if someone's foot slips out on uh, setting out for a double front flip. I think I, I did a, I did a um, Callum, my Callum tip 100 was actually like some, it was a long winded uh, thing about 
ha- I called it hucking shit. Yeah. Hucking shit being like the dangers of hucking shit being becoming like a big part of parkour culture. And I think at the time, some people like there was a lot of bails happening, um, like including like uh, Dom Tommaso doing like some some crazy flip frees that like it didn't seem like there was any. He, he was like taking leaps in his progression. There wasn't like any steady steps to it, and and like the consequence of of that was like he bailed like the first two attempts, and then like the one that he did got did get uh, finally wasn't like nice, uh, as in like it didn't yeah. look it didn't look comfortable at all. And there was like loads of stuff around that time happening, and I pretty much just I was pretty much saying like if stuff carries on like this. Uh, it's going to become like FMX and, and skateboarding and stuff where like all the top athletes are held together by like nails and glue and stuff. And pretty much, pretty much like, did you ever read uh, Blaine's dilution? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like 10 years ago or something. 20 yeah, years yeah. ago. Uh, it, it was pretty much like, a, like that sort of thing, but aimed at, yeah, it's, it's so funny how it's like still, that kind of thing is still about yeah, that's but, always a question you know i mean people yeah. are coming in from other sports they have different backgrounds you know the the you know going back to that idea that they're talking about the rise of superman it's like the rise of parkour is like a unique historical thing because no other uh well i mean i guess tricking and, and some of the other sports that have arised at the same time but like Previous to this, like skateboarding, snowboarding, skiing, martial yeah. arts, they didn't get to spread as rapidly because they didn't have YouTube. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That definitely plays a part in it. And, and, and Instagram as well. Like, like, I think the sport kind of evolves as a collective, like some hive mind. Uh, uh, I hate saying, what was it? Um, collective consciousness kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, like so many people are pushing like side flip precisions to like a crazy level, for example. And, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like people it's see a, trends and go. Yeah, we yeah we're we're all sort of networking our brains through social yeah. media. Um, it's really interesting to me to see like how things come and go as trends. Like uh, I was just like wondering the other day, like what happened to angel drops and devil drops? Oh, yeah. He does worm casts and 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 you know palm gainers and stuff like that but you never see anybody do an angel drop or a double drop anymore. <laughs> yeah yeah true That's so for the, for the audience if you guys don't know uh, uh, an angel drop is from a from hanging on a wall uh with your feet on the wall and what we call a cat leap it's doing a backflip off of it and a double drop would be the opposite thing the front flip off of it these were popular i don't know five six years ago i remember chase armitage was like the first guy i did him yeah yeah, maybe maybe a bit longer than that ago. Yeah, I remember. And then it's like I I, have, I swear I haven't seen anybody do that in a in a video in ages. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> but like every video has like every every free runner now has a worm cast or a worm gainer. Yeah. Which yeah. is like it's kind of like a the same thing as a as an angel drop. Only you're not pushing off of your feet; you're just worming your body from a from a full hang. Yeah, yeah. There are so many different trends that are like like you you start seeing them and then a month later because of instagram like there are dozens and dozens of people doing them 
Yeah. So we have this, yeah, it's so strange. this massive advantage on people in the past because we can, we can watch images and we can map it in our own minds of people doing skills faster than anybody else. But I also think it, it makes it harder to sort of recognize uh, what's really particularly interesting to you. Do you feel that? Like, you know, when you, when you absorb what everybody else in the community is doing, it's like you naturally end up wanting to replicate that. And then it changes yeah. the way that you see the space and your own relationship to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've found that with myself for sure. Yeah. You see these some athletes who like end up having really unique styles and it feels like they're mm. siloed and just kind of doing their own thing in the corner. Like um video that comes to mind is I think his name is Nim from the Berlin scene. You know, just playing okay. on a series yeah. of rails. You know, the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know, I know. And it's interesting how you see those athletes who pop out with their very unique styles and then it gets picked up and propagated to the community. But then again, I think like uh, it you never get like a an exact copy of that like people take it and then they put like ideas into their own kind of style and it's I don't know it's not like an exact forgery it's like kind of like an interpretation of like ideas and then the, oh yeah I explain that. absolutely I, I do think that there's a there's a tendency though for people like I think people are really social and so social stuff motivates us but I think it also can blind us to what's personally motivating to us. Yeah. Yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah. And so I think that I feel like a lot of times the people who burn out are the people who, who, who sort of spend all their time replicating what they see and don't yeah. find their own relationship with the discipline. It's more like what motivates them. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like yeah. if, if you're just like happy, just doing doing you and like progressing with what motivates you rather than what people want to see then i think you're more likely to kind of last maybe yeah but i wanted to, to go back a second and talk about like um like quantum leaps in skill or things where like we talked about this idea you were talking about don tomasi and so you know how yeah. he was he was making big jumps right where you know, maybe it's a side flip pre to, to a big fat wall today, and then tomorrow it's a side flip pre to a rail. Yeah, 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 for sure. And 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 my pro my problem with that was it, it kind of it works for him because somehow he well, I mean, not with his recent front flip when he did the uh, the twenty five set in the arm because yeah. he busted his foot pretty bad. But most of the time he. He, he's made of something different and he's, he's but if that catches on culturally like hucking hucking culture mm -hmm. becomes a thing um then more and more people decide to take these big quantum leaps yeah uh, have you ever had moments you know be more injuries sorry have you had moments in your practice like that though where you you saw something that was sort of outside the scope of anything that you've done that was similar but you had that that moment of saying, "No, I, I really know that I can do this right now," and and been able to do it. Not really. I don't get that very often. I'm I'm really fucking careful. Okay. <laughs> I'm re I'm really cautious, which is probably like not what so many people think. But yeah, I'm. I don't know. Like whenever whenever the guys are doing shit with like, for example, like a rope swing or like I'll, I'll be. I'll like stand back and kind of 
like watch how it works for everyone else first and then I'll still be like kind of terrified when it's my turn to go anything that's like unpredictable and without I don't know having practiced it a bunch before like um or like a, a different version of it like in a, on a smaller scale I'll be I don't know like very scared of kind of thing which I think is a good place to be but I think maybe it can also like box you in and a bit and keep you to your comfort zone too much but I think you've got to I don't know build up always otherwise I don't know it, it's just interesting because I've had a couple moments in my practice recently where where things that they didn't make sense to me how I knew I was ready for them happened so I was, I was telling you earlier about that that jump in uh in Hampstead Heath there's from a 14 foot high branch down to a, yeah. uh, an eight foot high branch and I, you know, the, the closest jump that I'd done was maybe 11 feet with a three foot drop, like three feet off the ground. Um, and it was interesting because like physically I knew I had the power as soon as I looked at it, but, um, but just to, but I'd never done anything that was sufficiently similar enough to, to make me feel like I could play out in my head what was going to happen when I did the jump. Yeah. And I would, and I was able to just kind of push through that. And then this other experience was kind of weird. Like I didn't really do much acrobatics for a long time. And then for some reason I was out in the woods and I saw this chance to flip between this trunk and, uh, and a tree off of uh, like, like a tack front through it. And, yeah. and I hadn't done a tack front in like two years. And I had to step up off of the log and do it. Um, but it, it felt pretty safe. It, was not yeah. crazy. So that's, I did that's the thing as well. Like, uh, I'm oh, sorry, carry on. So I did it, and then I was just in 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 uh, in in Denmark, and I found this this spot where there's one tree that's going up like this, like one tree that's going that's sloping forwards away from you, and one tree that's sloping backwards towards you, and then they meet, and there's a little spot that you can go over in the middle. Um, and and I realized that you could front flip through it, and it was really strange to me because. It just didn't feel like something I'd done, but I felt like my body knew how to do it and was able to do it. And so that yeah. felt like a little bit of a quantum leap in skill. And so I've been thinking about like, what, what prepares you to notice that you're able to do something that's, that's far outside the scope of what you've done in the past? And how do you, how do you uh, like know to trust that and then to let go of the, the other information that might tell you, no, 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 you've never done anything similar to this. That was what I was asking you before. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think if there's any ever been anything similar for me, but I, I think there's definitely like down to um, the consequence involved. Like, yeah, that's big. <laughs> of course, like if if you're, like, say the first time you want to try a gainer or something, um, if you're doing that into a foam pit, like the risk of you fucking it up are very high because it's your first time. And you don't really know the mechanics of it but the risk is i mean but the consequence is very low so you can kind of um you can go for it so that actually brings up this other thing that there's interesting you're talking about the idea that you know when you when you see something new like a, a swing you're one of the more cautious guys in, in getting into it yeah yeah like like for example something that's like more predict more unpredictable and like completely out of my skill set or something like like a, a rope swing or whatever. Yeah. So it is something that I've been working on a lot 
that we kind of touched on earlier in the conversation, but um, I have this this idea of aliveness as applied uh, as applied to parkour, and this is kind of similar to uh, Amos Rendon. I talked about this idea of randori for parkour. So it's like, yeah, can you do something not when you've pre-planned it, but mm-hmm. when you have to do it reactively? Um, there's a distinction in kind of motor control between uh, volitional, like where you intentionally decide I'm going to pick this up, right? And yeah. reflexive where it starts to drop from your hand unexpectedly and you have to grab it. Mm. So reflexive versus volitional. And, yeah. uh, and what I've been playing with a lot is ways to sort of get, I, I think that a lot of times parkour athletes are really stuck in the volitional aspect of their training. So they're, they're um, you know, you're going to do your dash vault to Kong pre to front tuck. And if the dashboard doesn't feel just right, you just stop and start over. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. You know, if the footwork isn't perfect on the on the run up, you just you just stop. You can't. You can't yeah. carry on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't improvise and work with it. Kind of. And so there's often an inability to improvise. Um, mm. So so I, so what we've done done a lot is like you know, play games of chase, play games of like. Um, We'll chase each other around with a stick and have to avoid the stick. Okay. Or uh, we'll we'll climb through trees and uh, we've invented a game called monkey ball where you're trying to like basically score through a gap in the trees, but you have to be in the tree the whole time. So you're moving through a series of trees. Okay. Um, And you can only, you can't move forward when you have the ball. So you have your teammates and they're moving through the trees and you have to throw it to them. And then you have to move and catch up. I've done I've done something similar like uh, like a the floor is lava thing on the yeah. I don't know if you've seen like the black and yellow bar structure that I teach on yeah I do a similar thing I probably haven't some of your videos doesn't matter if you haven't seen but yeah um yeah I, I, I do the same game but yeah but that'd be sick to do that on a natural environment yeah, sure. it's super fun and then the other person has to like has to overtake and then the then the mm-hmm. other person that's holding the ball can't move until they get ahead and then yeah, exactly. And, and then the other team is there trying to interrupt it. They can't touch the players, but they can oh, right. knock the ball oh, down. Okay. Ah, yeah, gotcha. Ah, yeah, I yeah. see. Ah, oh, that's another that's another cool level to add to it. Sick. Yeah, super fun yeah. game. Um, monkey ball, so you all can try that. Uh, so I was just curious if you've noticed this distinction between that and if you see that people who, who do more of the training in a, in a reactive way are better able to solve those challenges earlier rather than having to go through the very cautious sort of patterned way of, of approaching. I remember I used to, me and, my, me and some friends used to kind of do that like a bit, like we're going to just like move through this environment without like prepping it or anything. It'll yeah. be like a place that we've trained before, but like, like it'll be a path, like a choose a direction, like randomly and then just improvise kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. I haven't really, I haven't really, played with that since yeah it's interesting because i think you know you obviously when you're at the the hardest edge of your of your technical ability you have to take that really technical that really sort of cautious and very thoughtful approach to it but yeah i think that when you when you start building up that that ability to reactively control Mm -hmm. things uh it, it builds your confidence going back to another point of the conversation my mind's all over the place but you talked about when you were doing the, the big jump in Hong Kong, that you had certain, um, that you had ways that it could go wrong without you dying. 
Yeah. So how do you think about when you're at the kind of doing these really challenging jumps, how do you, how do you look at for the, the ways that you can control the situation? Like how do you map out all those potentials? What were you thinking you could have happen and you would still survive it other than landing it perfectly? That's when like your experience just training without high consequence is useful because you know how things can go wrong and how you can save things when they do, when they aren't like the most ideal scenario or whatever. So like, um, obviously missing the takeoff that you can't really come back from that. Like uh, there's not, especially on like a 16 foot running jump, there's not really ways you can come back from that. Uh, so like, number one priority is is always getting the takeoff right and they're worrying about landing kind of thing and then there's like uh just like how you can bounce off it if you were to undershoot for example and how you would react like if you i don't know yeah undershot in like some other way these these are all things that are like kind of part of my process uh with anything at high consequence or, or even like slightly lower consequence at ground level, like I'm always wondering how am I going to save this if I, if it doesn't go exactly, exactly the plan and like how, how many ways can it kind of go wrong as well? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. This part of the process, I think. I think about uh, when, when you're kind of, when you're breaking a jump, it's like first you're looking at the jump and decide you do it, then you that you can do it, then you assess it, and then yeah, you have to overcome your fear of it and like get to the point where you can commit. And then, uh, part of that is like visualizing all the ways that it could happen, yeah, and figuring out what is the stuff that I most need to concentrate on, like the takeoff. Yeah, yeah. It's good to have like an idea of like how you were to react, like for example, if, if you're doing a jump in a tree and there's like uh some branch that can save you underneath or like or there's an awkward yeah. like stump that can go up your ass or something <laughs> like if you were to bounce off like yeah. uh, like the less than ideal scenarios like should be like really important to think about so yeah you know how how you're gonna react so th they need to yeah. be like on the in the back of your mind or even the front of your mind yeah, there's a there's a this thinker in movement theory called Nikolai Bernstein who had this idea of the, the degrees of freedom problem. So you can think of all the different things that could happen as degrees of freedom. So then you need to. So the original idea is that well, there's one right way to do it, right? So you want to get rid of all the other ways of doing it. But then what he pointed out is that there's lots of ways that that don't result in failure, and you want to be able to keep all the redundancy, the redundant variables that that are. Um, that don't that don't result in failure, right? So, yeah. Uh, the the example that you could give is like, let's say that you have you have to you have one finger on a force plate and, or two fingers on a force plate, and the total force has to be five or it has to be 10, 10 pounds of force. So you can push down okay. with five pounds of force on one and five pounds of force on the other. You can say that's the correct solution. You try to do exactly that, but then any deviation away from from that results in failure, right? But if you realize that one plus, uh, one plus four or one plus nine is the same and right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then you have all these redundant degrees of, of, uh, 
of what could happen that as long as you're within that, you're safe. Mm. Does that make sense? I think we go through a lot of the same process when we're, when we're doing these jumps at height. It's basically like, here's the, the thing that I really, really don't want to have happen. Here's all the, all the things that, that would be less bad than that. Yeah. And aim to do it in such a way that it's always going to result in something that's not the worst possible. Option. Yeah. 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 So when you're, um, when you're up there looking at that jump in Hong Kong, how do you kind of regulate your, your nervous system so that you know when you're ready to go and that you're, you're not overly tense or, you know, out of control? I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> to be honest. I, ne- I never really, I can't remember many times when I felt like overly too tense for something or or like adrenal or whatever. But I guess uh, if, I, if I did have any things like that, I would definitely see it as like a sign to kind of slow down, chill out kind of thing. Or, um, But I remember when I did go for the jump in Hong Kong, I was uh, like, I'd got to a point where I felt like I had like everything I needed. Um, and I felt like if I, if as long so long as I get this awkward run up right and get a good takeoff, like there's nothing that's nothing bad that's going to go wrong. And I got it took a long time to get to that point, and it just and it was literally just like a technical kind of thing. Um, like mentally, I wasn't so worried about it. I was just I just knew that I had to work it out and take all the steps towards it, kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know about, I think that one isn't like the best example. I think I've had, I can't remember ever, ever having an ex- experiences like that where I've been like, whoa, I need to calm down kind of thing. Or, um, I've noticed that. But yeah, maybe I've just never been mindful of it enough. Yeah, I've noticed that most of the, the best athletes that I see doing stuff at height or even doing anything that's really hard and technical you'll see them uh, exhale and shake a little bit before they take off. So people... Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is interesting because I see a lot of young guys who are not experienced basically doing the opposite to themselves because those are Mm -hmm. calming signals. Those are turning your nervous system down. They have their favorite trap song in their ear and their friends are hyping them up. Let's get this shit! (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. always looks terrible. Whenever someone it might it might work for going for like a new like one rep max PR in the yeah. gym or something. But... <laughs> but you just know that that guy's gonna if he makes it, it's just gonna look horrible. It's gonna be a bad yeah. bad movement. Yeah. So, yeah. so what is it like? What is your internal signal that you know you're ready for? Something? Often, just things just feel right. Like I have everything, all the data that I need, yeah. kind of thing. So there's a feeling, um, a feeling of that you know what you need to know yeah like i i know enough like and, yeah yeah i've noticed with um with the with like standing jumps at height um i literally have a feeling that my that my eye focuses more effectively on the object and everything oh, else right. blurs more like a yeah, camera. yeah because yeah. it's like as long as my as long as i'm too afraid and i'm the, the stuff down below the fall will attract my attention and as long as that's sort of eating in my head, then I'm not ready to jump. 
But once I can kind of let that drift into a, like a little fuzzy background and my eyes lock in, then I know I'm ready to jump. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's so weird. I need to keep an eye out for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah never, the process of how we, how we control these things, you know, psychologically and physiologically. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely something I need to pay attention to, pay attention to more. Yeah. Because uh, there always is, there always is like a switch. Yeah. Uh, when breaking a jump, like, or a mental block or something. And then, I don't know. Yeah, I think having that, that, for me, it seemed like having that really mapped out and knowing exactly what that process is really helps you not make a mistake. Yeah. Right? It's like you have it well articulated. I learned a lot about it from, uh, from Stefan Dubois. Did a yeah. whole thing on breaking the jump when he came out here to teach, and also Dylan Baker. Um, yeah. So I want to talk to you also. I know that you do some uh, some weightlifting as well, um, which is yeah. When I was when I was more involved in the parkour community, it seemed like a lot of the kind of the top guys who didn't do weightlifting didn't um, really do much other than parkour. So I'm curious mm -hmm. to what degree you see people now adopting that, and what importance do you place on kind of ancillary strength conditioning? body preparation training for parkour athletes uh yes it's, it, i'd be interested to hear like what percentage of importance like people put to that because although i do quite a lot of it i still place most importance on like technical and mental training rather than yeah. just like purely physical i mean i started lifting in maybe 2009 after okay. seeing um after, pretty much after hearing uh, that it's good for your joints and and yeah. it's it pretty much uh, keeps knee pay at bay and every at bay and everything. I heard from like Bobby and Tag uh, <laughs> around yeah. the time, who so. both like had knee pain. I had a lot yeah. of friends that had that were dropping like friend uh, a lot of friends that were dropping like flies with knee pain, and I just got a bit paranoid about it pretty much. Yeah. So like I started lifting for that, and then like later on I hear like uh, that strength is really good. For, like building that uh, strength is really good for like building power and everything, and that's definitely something I felt as well. Um, and and now I think most of the time I'm lifting with the intention of uh, building power and resistance to impact and everything and uh i mean like and of course the longevity thing is uh, a really good byproduct of that i guess but yeah. like I, I think in in my mind it's kind of like a byproduct so your, your uh, primary goal with your training is to increase your ability to apply power my my primary goal in lifting is is to increase my power but uh so you can jump say, further and land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Like, so, so I can I I can feel like I'm at my peak physically yeah. when when doing like a lot of the jumps, but I still place like most importance on uh, technical training and mental training. Well, Often. not not even the mental training, but just like yeah, within parkour, like that that stuff, I put more value on. So you noticed an increase in your power when you started weight training. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, whenever, whenever I'm lifting consistently, I always feel uh, really strong and can jump like uh, more than more than without. Okay, sure. And uh, how much um, 
how often do you train? When you are training, like when you are training, how how many days a week do you train? What kind of volume do you use? Like what kind of training do you use? I think in winter I'll have two sessions a week, uh, and then normally like an hour long, and sometimes I'll do like five sets of squats and then uh, five sets of uh, Bulgarian split squats or something on each leg. And then sometimes I'll mix um, like some fast lifting stuff. Like I used to do a lot more um, like Olympic lifting kind of stuff. Um, and I'll usually, I mean, for the past three years, I've been trying to like superset that sort of stuff with like uh, plyometric movements yeah, French contrast, as well. Man. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, only really recently like French contrast, but like uh, normally just like, say like back squat followed by like uh like a plyo in like a broad jump plyo into like yeah. a box jump yeah, yeah or or if like bulgarian split squats then i'll just do like uh just like strides down a track like yeah uh, bounding anything like they would call it in yeah track yeah. Field. yeah yeah, bounding. yeah yeah i do similar i uh, do similar stuff when i weight train i usually do bulgarian split squats and mm. combined with that, or any front squats with, uh, with with broad jump series. Yeah, yeah. So very similar stuff. Um, it, I, I ask because you know I think one thing that ha that I've noticed with the parkour community is that if you take a, a standard lifting program, uh, it's usually too much volume for a parkour athlete. Okay. The amount of the amount of 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 damage that we're taking, you know, to the muscular system from the from the jumping training, yeah, sure. Do three days a week or three by five. Uh, it just ends up being too much. So I was curious what you, what you know, to, to to find out what you're doing. And then, like, how much do you do? Do you think that increases your 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 power or your your resilience when you're out training? Like ten percent, fifteen percent? Like, what what advantage do you think you're getting? Uh, I'm not sure because I've never I've never taken such a hiatus that um, that I've noticed like any problems or anything uh, right. if you know what I mean. But then I've I've never had like such a long time consistently lifting, like no more than like six or eight weeks consistently lifting to uh, to like pretty much plateau. Like, I, I don't yeah. think I've ever lifted consistently enough to plateau. Okay. Um, so it's hard to, like, put any, like, number to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And then, and then still, I, I wouldn't be certain whether it was down to the intensity or volume of, of how I'd be, like, technical training, like, jumping and stuff. Yeah, it's hard to uh, be a good scientist. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> imagine, especially with the kind of schedule that you're doing for the, all the filming. And, yeah. Do you yeah, yeah. do you program your your jump training at all, or is your parkour training basically just um, whatever feels good that day? Yeah, uh, pretty much. I I do um, sometimes put aside days to drill stuff for sure, like with the intention of uh, of building power, mm -hmm. but. Um, Usually, yeah, I'll just, I'll just jump around and have fun, especially with technical training days. Um, but yeah, in the gym, I'll do like some jumps up the track and and, uh, and 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 sometimes just like repping out precisions and stuff just for like 
endurance and like resilience kind of yeah. thing not so much like the technique do you usually have kind of a set of goals you're working towards or is it more in any given session you just find something you want to work on um i think my goals uh i have a long list of goals actually which are like i have a list of like 70 different jumps and challenges that i and and a lot of them i've ticked off and a lot of them i haven't um so a lot of my goals are kind of uh location based like they're yeah. like say like a stride at imax or something or sure. like uh blah 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 at mini spot or whatever <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah. always spot based and uh yeah i don't know but then i also have like and and on the same like notepad i have like lifting goals conditioning goals flexibility goals and stuff I write down shit a lot. <laughs> okay, um, so yeah, I guess sometimes when it feels right, I'll like focus on doing like one of these goals or whatever. I don't know. I can't remember if that answered your question. Yeah, it does. It's uh, you know, I was just trying to get at you know. I think that a lot of times the the athletes who are kind of at the edges of what people are doing from a kind of performance standpoint, not necessarily uh, communicating what's happening in their practice in a way yeah. that, that people can understand. So part of my goal in interviewing you, yeah, is, I know what you mean. is to kind of give people a window into what that practice looks like and how it's cultivated and built up. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what's, what's funny about my list as well is like, it's got underneath some of the jumps and stuff. I have like uh, specific things that would directly make that jump easier whether that be like um practicing like uh well drilling a jump that's like very similar or yeah. jumps that are similar or like doing hill sprints or something to uh like improve or like program split squats or whatever yeah i have like bullet points under each like some of the goals and stuff for example yeah uh, Mine's, mine is pretty similar. I have like generally a list of, of specific movements that I want to do. Like I have a really big canyon jump that I want to do. I have a, a oh, yeah. series of swings around a tree that I want to do. I have a, a front flip in between two trees and over another tree branch that I want to do. And, yeah, then, yeah. and then I kind of have intermediate goals that take me towards that. It's like I know that I'm just yeah. much more yeah, ready yeah, yeah. when I've done this. It's like in order to do that canyon jump, that can this canyon jump I want to do is 16 feet with a with a with like a seven foot drop, but you can't roll. Yeah, damn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, damn. You're landing on a boulder, and so I'm like, well, my legs have to be really good at stopping a 16 feet. Yeah. Um, you know, going just to a local park and jumping, you know, 16 feet with a three foot drop into the into the bark dust. And, and just seeing how well my legs can control it. And uh, it's, it's amazing how hard just stopping a jump is when you're that, you're, you're taking on that much power. Uh, so we had a little technical hiccup there, but that was actually probably a good place for us to stop um, on the role of strength training there in, in parkour. So Calum, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. For people who are interested in learning more about you and store uh, and 
where should they find you guys? And do you guys have any interesting things coming up that people should know about? Um, you can find us at Stora on Instagram or Stora on YouTube and Facebook and everything else. My personal is uh, uh, Callum Stora on Instagram and uh, something new. We're, we're doing a TED talk in India, actually, uh, really? out on Friday, which is pretty funny. Uh, Drew, Drew has been working really hard to um, like finalize this talk. And now he's got a, him and Ben are going to deliver it in front of like an auditorium full of like a thousand people or something. So that's going to be crazy. And then it's gone on YouTube, of course. So yeah, no pressure. Um, and we've literally just gotten back from working on a film in Rome, which is like a, a new Netflix original film with Michael Bay, uh, which is, which is crazy. And yeah, that's it. What's that's the name of the film? You know the name of the film? Uh, Six Underground. Yeah. Six Underground. So people should look out for you guys in Six Underground. Yeah. No awesome. idea when it's going to be out, but it should be crazy. Okay. Well, that'll be rad. Um, I hope it doesn't blow you all up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's close calls. Close calls. For sure. <laughs> okay. Cool, man. Thanks very much. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Evolve Move Play podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes if you can. Finally, as we mentioned before the show, this is a listener-supported podcast, and if you want to have the most regular content, have the best guests on, and give you guys the best quality of audio and video, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Thank you very much, and I look forward to sharing more with you guys soon.